Winter Olympics are not far behind us. It was just a few months ago that those were celebrated in Korea. And a couple more years we'll be uh, enter or watching the Summer Olympics. And although the Summer Olympics never really grabs me in the way that Winter Olympic events do, uh, one of the highlights and the one that always draws the most viewers is the 100-meter sprints. That tends to be the one where most attention is drawn and often where scandals happen. I think we all remember that Ben Johnson doping scandal and how heartbreaking it was for our country. But I'm going to give a little appeal for beyond, looking beyond the 100-meter sprints because what we actually have as a highlight, what I find even more interesting in the Summer Olympics is not just the 100-meter sprints, but the 4-by-100-meter relay. And I find that interesting because that race is set up in such a way that four of the fastest runners on the team get picked. But it's not just their quickness that matters. What matters is, after 100 meters of sprinting, can they hand on a baton to the person who comes next to them? And can that person grab it without losing stride? And then, can that person go another 100 meters and do the very same thing until you get to the last person in the leg? What really matters in this race is not just raw speed. What really matters, where there needs to be a great amount of focus, is how you hand off the baton from one person to the next. Because you can work very hard as a sprinter, but if you drop that baton, the race is lost, and there's absolutely no point in even continuing. I think about that because today, in the day of Pentecost, we often think about the spectacular, powerful events we see there. The coming of the Holy Spirit, where we hear a great wind blowing just as the wind hovered over the waters in creation. There's a new creation, the church. We hear of the great uh, fire, tongues of fire that spring up over the disciples. And these great events happen. Peter stands up and he speaks and, and people are listening to him from all different parts of the world and they're all amazed because by the power of God's spirit, the people who come from different places and different languages all understand him in their own language. A powerful and wonderful event. But just like in the relay race in the Olympics, we miss an awful lot if we don't realize that what's going on in here is not just exciting signs of power, there's also a handing off that is very important. For I think today in the day of Pentecost, God is calling us to pay attention to the fact that at Pentecost there is an important handoff going on. For Jesus, as we saw last week, ascends into heaven bodily, but he pours out his spirit so that his church might continue and the task that he begun while he was here ministering on earth. I'd like to focus on that transition and what it means for us as individuals and what it means as a church to be people continuing the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, as always, it's worthwhile backing up your claims with a little bit of evidence, so I wanted to do a little bit of walk through the Old Testament and some of the precedents that show us that these kinds of signs, the Holy Spirit coming, is a signal that something important is transferring, an important transfer of leadership and mission. I want to start with two important figures in the Old Testament, people named Elijah and Elisha. If you uh, remember from the days in Sunday school or maybe uh, you read stories to your children at bedtime, one of my favorite stories was the story of Elijah. And Elijah uh, lives in the time of Israel during the kings before Israel is uh, destroyed by Babylon. And Elijah is called against uh, the prophets of Baal, a tremendous showdown where the prophets of Baal, 400 of them, uh, are challenged to a test. And Elijah says, if, if your God can throw down fire from heaven and consume uh, the offering on this altar, then he is uh, the one we should worship. But if my God can do it uh, and pull down fire from heaven, he's the one you should worship. And of course, 
after uh, hours and hours of chanting, nothing happens, these 400 priests. And then Elijah, a little bit of a show-off actually, says, well, not just are you going to come down and consume, he gets people to pour water all over the altar and say, well, aha, my God can do this, and down comes the fire and consumes it. But what's interesting, though, is another really important episode. Elijah's doing ministry, but he's alone, and he's uh, finding himself frustrated, he's tired out, and God chooses a successor for him, a man named Elisha. And so Elijah and Elisha are uh, like Batman and Robin. They go around to do the important things together, but Elisha is learning the ways of the prophet. But here's why I mention that. It's an important transition between uh, Elijah passing on the mantle of leadership to Elisha. But here's what happens when Elijah is uh, taken away from his ministry and it passes to Elisha. This is from 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted to you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, Elisha went over. And when the company of prophets who were at Jericho saw him at a distance, they declared, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. See what happens there? Elisha follows Elijah, and he thinks that the ministry Elijah has been doing will be coming to an end. But instead, Elijah says, Wait and see. If you see this chariot of fire taking me away, then you will know you have inherited the same spirit that is in me. And that's exactly what happened. And then we find Elisha literally picking up the mantle of Elijah. A mantle is like a, a stole or a scarf. That's actually where we uh, get that term in English. We pass on the mantle of leadership. What did Elijah do? He passes on the mantle of spiritual Egypt to Elisha. And Elisha goes and does the very same things Elijah does. Great miracles. Uh, performed by Elisha because of the Spirit of God. You see the transition? Elijah's ministry carried on by Elisha coming right after him. It's interesting, too, if we fast forward a few centuries and we get to the time of Jesus and John the Baptist. What you may remember is that John the Baptist, when people are asked uh, about John the Baptist, and they come to ask John, who are you? And some say, are you Elijah? And although John denies that he's physically Elijah, Jesus says later and clarifies this, says he's sort of an Elijah because he comes to prepare the way. So here's what's really interesting. Pay attention to the similarities between the Elijah and Elisha story and the similarities between Jesus and John the Baptist. This is what it says in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 29. John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. 
I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Do you see that same similarity? The one that the Spirit rests on and remains on is the one who comes after me to complete my mission. And then sure enough, what happens right afterwards? You see, John the Baptist has some disciples who are around him. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here's the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. The disciples of John leave John and begin to follow Jesus. And we find later John is beheaded and killed, and he's taken off the scene. Jesus continues in that ministry that John was the forerunner for. And how do we know? Because the Spirit rests on Jesus. God's Spirit works through Jesus to do great things. Now, that's all important, and why I'm telling you this is because these two events in particular, but several other events similar to it, happen in the Old Testament and in the early parts of the New Testament, pointing out the significance of Jesus leaving, just as Elijah did into the heavens. Jesus leaving and accompanied by fire and the Spirit, great things happen in his church. These are things that are meant to tell us something really important. At the uh, uh, reading we had last week, what did we hear? We heard Jesus say, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Remember Elisha watching as Elijah is brought into the heavens? And what happens? Fire, spirit. What did we hear today? We heard today read. How, when the day of Pentecost had come, the disciples together in one place, suddenly from heaven, a sound like the rush of a violent wind. It filled the entire house where they were appearing, divided tongues as a fire appeared on them, and a tongue rested on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Then what do they do? They start doing the very same things Jesus did. Jesus gets up, he preaches, he impresses the crowds. What happens next? Peter, who had just... A few days earlier, a few uh, weeks earlier, at the time of Jesus' arrest, flees. When he is asked about who Jesus is, he denies he even knows him. And now Peter, filled with the Spirit, instead of running away, does exactly what Jesus does with courage, speaks the truth to people, and their hearts are convicted. James, or John and Peter then go, and what do they do? They see a man who is a crippled beggar, and they say, walk, and he walks. How often did Jesus do the very same thing in his ministry? Peter and John, representing the disciples, do the very same things Jesus did. Later, we find Peter and John are dragged before the Sanhedrin, the very same people who condemned Jesus to death. And they stand up, and they too are flogged and told to stop proclaiming who Jesus is. They stand up, and they refuse to back down. Later, we find uh, the disciples doing exactly what Jesus said. In Jerusalem, Peter speaks. We find throughout Judea the disciples speaking to people about Christ. We find Philip uh, the deacon speaking to the Samaritans. And to the ends of the earth, we find Peter speaking to Cornelius a little bit later in Acts, who was a Gentile, and these Gentiles come to Christ. And finally, the book of Acts ends with St. Paul in Rome. St. Paul going to the very center of the known, uh, known Mediterranean world, that seat of power, that international multicultural empire, speaking to the emperor about who Jesus is. So do you understand what's going on here? Jesus' ministry 
Although Jesus is taken bodily from earth, his spirit is poured out on his church to complete the mission that Jesus was doing while he was on earth. Now, this is really significant for us because it's very tempting for us to say, oh, wow, look at those great things that happened. What an interesting thing that a miracle occurred where people could hear different, uh, different languages but all understand. And forget that what's going on here is a challenge and also an encouragement to us that we are the inheritors of that same spirit by virtue of being part of Christ's church. We are the body of Christ, St. Paul tells us. And throughout often the New Testament referred to the body of Christ partly because it says that we are people who are part of an organization that is meant to be uh, inspired by God's spirit, by Christ's spirit, to do the work that Jesus did, to be his hands and his feet in the world. We have a purpose to continue Jesus' ministry. And although that's important in many different ways, it has been particularly important to me as I was reading through and thinking about what to say today because of the way that the church's mission communicates something that our world desperately needs. It communicates a sense of purpose and meaning. One of the things that's most troubling I see is that cultural change going on throughout North America and it seems so much of the Western world is not just because of economic anxieties and troubles. There's lots of things you hear going on in the news. And one of the most troubling things I've been reading about, and many of us have, are the increases in uh, what are known as deaths of despair. What they mean by that is things like the opioid crisis going on throughout the United States and parts of Canada. Uh, these are places where uh, heroin and, and other opioids, which are very heavy-duty drugs, are being abused at record numbers. And sadly, this is something that we've often heard happen in inner cities and grinding uh, pits of poverty. And so uh, these sorts of things were really uh, coming to the fore in the 60s and 70s. We heard about crack in the 80s and, and of course, lots of, of dysfunction and problems. What, what seems to be new is many places that used to be centers of manufacturing, small town life, that places uh, in, in Ohio and, and Minnesota and, and throughout the Appalachian region in particular in the States, but also many parts of Canada, even in suburbs like Barhaven, people are returning to these sorts of things that numb emotional and spiritual pain. Uh, one of the things that's been interesting as you look at modern statistics about health and, and material blessing, in so many ways what we're not aware of is how many uh, people are now being brought out of poverty around the world how health standards are increasing and how uh, more availability of, of, of antibiotics and, and vaccines around the world have improved health standards. But in the United States and parts of Canada, that many people's health standards have dropped, that the day of their death or that their average life expectancy in many groups in the United States has been dropping because of the increase in despair, people turning to drugs, people turning to more alcohol, people turning towards suicide, that health indicators have been dropping in key segments the American and Canadian population. What does that tell us? Yes, there's economic anxieties, but the economy is actually taking quite an increase over the past few years in many segments of North America. What it indicates is a lack of purpose and meaning. Even if I have a job, what's the point of it? After all, many people, I think, today wander around wondering, is there much purpose to my life? And it's one thing to look at that and say, well, there's some places that are deeply dysfunctional and troubled. You know, one of the things I was listening to just recently was an interviewer talking about uh, the, the, the crisis of personal and public debt going on uh, throughout much of the Western world, and particularly in Canada and the United States. Um, you know, I, I don't take political stances from the pulpit, so I won't now, but to look at how increasing our deficits and our debts on a public level, who's going to pay for it? The future generations. But even more interesting is, 
how many Canadians live with ever-increasing rates of personal debt, not because they've invested in things like mortgages, but because they go out for meals and vacations and things that consumed in an instant but end up having to be paid for over a long period of time. And his point was, as he says, this is also an indicator of a sense of lack of purpose and hope for the future. And after all, what do we do when we hope for the future? We store up an inheritance to give to our children. And he says there's a real danger today that so many of us are spending that inheritance because we have such little hope and sense of purpose and meaning for the future. Look around, there's other indicators around that I think point to a similar thing. What does the church have by virtue of the Holy Spirit coming to us? We have a purpose. Think of how amazing the transformation is in the people that Jesus meets on a regular basis. How he meets a tax collector who nobody wants to spend time with, and he climbs up that tree, Zacchaeus, and he's, he's looking and hoping to get a glimpse of Jesus, but no, uh, not even daring to speak to him because as a tax collector, he knows he's got many things that he's not very proud of. And Jesus stops and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to eat at your house. Or when he's eating at the house of a powerful person, Simon the Pharisee, and a woman comes in, a woman of reputation that is low, and Simon sees and disapproves as she comes and she weeps and she washes Jesus' feet. And instead of Jesus condemning her, he praises her for the love and devotion she shows to the Son of God. You know how interesting it is that there at the cross, although his disciples fled, who was left? But a small group of women. A small group of women there mourning with him in the cross, including his mother, but other women there too, I'm sure because of the dignity he showed to these women who were so used to being beaten down and marginalized. Here's a man who powerfully changed people's lives. And as we see here today, Peter transformed from a man who runs from danger to a person who runs to it for the sake of the people who need to hear the message of who Christ is. The transforming power of Christ in his ministry is a transforming power that we have as a church. Don't discount the importance of what we can do to a world that's so indifferent, a world that feels purposeless. And, 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 and often a world that feels like nobody actually cares about me in the midst of a changing world. What is it that Pentecost tells us? We have a mission and a purpose to change people's lives simply by loving them as Christ loved them. And how hard that is, we all know. It's not easy to love even irritating people, let alone love your enemies. But what did Jesus do? He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How can he do that? Because the Spirit of God anointed him and filled him and gave him the ability to do what human beings by their own power cannot do. That same spirit, Jesus says, is in us and in this church. Will we be a church that's known by so radically and deeply loving people in this community that they see what the love of Jesus really is in concrete, practical ways to do, as our mission statement says, to embody Christian faith in this world, not just to talk about it, but to be inspired by God's spirit to love as God loves. What a great image of the many different nations speaking many different tongues coming. And good job, Gene, on reading all the many different nations, how hard it is to name them, but that's part of the point. It's hard to name them because they come from such different places with languages so different, cultures so different, but all drawn together, not because they agree on everything, but drawn together by the power of God's spirit, the spirit, Jesus says, of truth that binds them together to begin to absorb the love that God has for them and to inspire them to live in a way that shows God's love to the world. Soon afterwards, what do we find? This group of people who didn't know each other from Adam, 
that gather together in the temple and share their goods with these strangers who have nothing in common except the Spirit of Christ. They begin to appoint deacons like St. Stephen who go off to feed widows and orphans in Jerusalem who are neglected. The church changed the ancient world because this was something that average, everyday people, men and women, slave and free, people of different backgrounds did for one another and people looked and said, my gosh, how they love each other in sacrificial ways. I wish I had that. And that is what's known as the patient ferment of the early church. People have diverse and different backgrounds, inspired by the love of Christ to love one another and inspired to live and to strive to live according to what God wants of them. Can we be that? Now, there's a danger when I speak about this, about the great and mighty things the church has done to make us believe we can't do it. But I think for many of them, it was just simple little things done over time that let others know they were cared about. When you're at coffee hour, and you speak to somebody new, do you listen when they tell you that they are scheduled for a surgery? Do you pray for them in the week that they are? And next time you see them, do you ask them how it went? Is there somebody you don't see often at church and they come and they have a hard time coming because they can't drive very well because of infirmity? Do you ever offer and think, you know, I can pick you up on the way to church? When some of our parishioners who no longer can come because they live in a, in a retirement home, do we ever think to visit them? When the person that you regularly sit next to isn't there for three weeks, do we pick up the phone and ask how they're doing? Does the new person who comes and obviously feels out of place, do they feel at peace because you listen to them? You tell them by your body language and by your words that they're welcome and we're so glad you're here. And do you remember their names next time they come? This isn't rocket science. These are all things that easily we can forget, but at the same time are things that we easily can do. If we allow the Spirit of Christ to work through us, let us be that kind of church that shines the light of Christ to this community of Barhaven with a sense that there is a purpose. No matter what you may feel, you have a purpose and a meaning in your life because you're a child of God. Christ died for you and gave you a mission to spread that love to the world. And we can show it to you if you only would walk with us for a while. But also how inspiring we can be to one another if only we took seriously what Pentecost teaches us, that our many different backgrounds are no hindrance to us loving one another. Because the Spirit of Christ gives us the mind of Christ that binds us together and helps us to love as Christ loves. We can do this not because we're great. We can do this because Christ is great. Let this be a church that shines like a light on a hill. Let it be a church on fire with the Holy Spirit because we have said, yes, Spirit, we want to be shaped so that we can do the mission Christ did. How great a mission this is and how exciting and how wonderful it would be to see the fruits of it. If only we let that Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit, have free reign in who we are as a church.